Welcome to the Lead and Follow podcast. I'm your host, Sharna Fabiano, author of the book, Lead and Follow. And I'm pleased to bring you the latest research, insights, and educational techniques in the emerging field of followership to help you connect and collaborate better with the people around you, whether you're leading or following. Please do leave us a review in your favorite podcast app, and thanks so much for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Fatima Haq, Academic Program Manager and LEO Adjunct Lecturer at the Barger Leadership Institute at the University of Michigan, and also with Doreen Lawrence-Hughes, Assistant Dean of Undergraduate Education at the University of Michigan. They are both involved in the introduction of followership to the Barger Leadership Institute curriculum, and I'm very excited to have them both on the show together today to talk about that process and how it's preparing students for both professional and community work. Fatima and Doreen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having us. Hi. Thanks for having us, Sharna. You're so welcome. Fatima, I'd like to start with you. What initially inspired you to start including followership in the Barger curriculum? Yeah, and when we first decided to teach a class around the foundations of leadership, we really, as a team, thought about uh, what we wanted to cover. And we were heavily influenced by Barbara Kellerman's Bad Leadership, which talks a lot about how followers are just as accountable for the things that leaders do. And so we were thinking about, well, if we want to teach about ethics, if we want to teach about values of courageous virtues or having good temperance and all of that, we were really thinking about how do we work for the common good and and how do we actually help them think broadly about it. So the first influence is definitely Kellerman. I also attended an IRLA global conference in Canada, and there were a lot of sessions around followership. And I got exposed to ideas like Sankofa and others that were very influential in how I was thinking and the importance of this for our students. For listeners who aren't familiar with it yet, the ILA is the International Leadership Association, and they deserve a big shout out not only for their conferences, but also for hosting within their organization a special member community focused on followership. Fatima, would you tell us a little bit more about how students typically encounter followership and how you've woven it into this course? The course is called Foundations in Leadership, and uh, (laughs) I think there's been conversations. I know Doreen has definitely mentioned it, that she doesn't think if there was a course on followership that students would readily jump on board. But within that curriculum, we talk about a lot of different things, talk about different leadership theories and styles. We have students explore their own values. We have them talk about communication and feedback and all of that. And within that context, we also talk about followership. And Doreen actually introduces them to the concept in the first uh, session. We devote a few sessions to it. The first session is led by Doreen. That makes a lot of sense. I've I've also heard that from others, that because there's this stigma around followership, or maybe because it's just an unknown word, it's hard to start with that. But actually, once you put it inside the leadership wrapper, it does make a lot more sense and, and has a lot of meaning. Doreen, let's get you into this conversation. Would you first just give us a little background on your own followership journey? Sure. I do want to give a couple of shout outs to the ILA, though, because this is how I was introduced to followership at an ILA pre-conference session where I attended a train-the-trainer session facilitated by Ira Taylor. So prior to that session, I read his book, 
the courageous follower. And it resonated so deeply with me that I really wanted to sort of be a part of this new community where we were talking about these things in a, in a real deep and constructive way. I'm going to jump in here for a moment to give some context. The Train the Trainer event that Doreen is describing is one of several trainings that led to the formation of a group called Teaching Followers Courage. This is a global community of scholars and practitioners who are exploring both Ira Chalef's courageous follower work and also the research and teaching of followership more broadly. Spending that many hours with him and and in a room full of folks who found value and see the value of followership um, was really rewarding. And then at that same conference, um, I attended several sessions that included followership as a topic. Uh, One of those sessions was facilitated by Lisa DeFrank Cole and Cheryl Tan, and they used their presentation time to really introduce a new model of followership as a way of empowering women leaders. And I then subsequently attended a session with Mark and Samantha Hertz, and their session was focused more on the pedagogy, right? How do we teach people about followership? How do we actually facilitate followership in the classroom? And so um, those experiences were so rich that I brought them back with me, but I didn't really have a place to put them or anything to do with them because I don't teach in my role. So I was so happy when the Institute reached out to me and asked me to uh, do a session on followership. I bet that was a great day. Thank you so much for sharing that. I would now love to hear about that class you teach where you get to introduce followership as part of the foundations course. I have a single opportunity um, with the Institute to teach followership. Uh, And then as Fatima mentioned, they then go on to talk about it more as it's integrated into their curriculum. But I get 90 minutes. So for me, that's a good lesson in followership because I have to do what I'm told, be in and be out and do it in a timely way. So what I typically do is I do introduce the students to followership by asking them first about their leadership capabilities and competencies. It's a great way to link that session to the work that they have already been doing in that particular course. So what I don't want to do is come in and sort of just have this feel like it's a standalone thing that's not connected. So I start by connecting the topic to what they're already doing by getting them to do a little bit of self-reflection about their leadership. And then I sort of introduce them to this terminology of followership. And I do it on a very sort of meta level. You know, I I do talk about the fact that I doubt that any of them would have signed up for a followership institute. And we ask ourselves why. And I don't necessarily think that it's because there's some sort of negative connotations. I think it's more of the fact that no one's heard of it in the way that we have started to talk about it. And so by introducing the concept and introducing it as a normal, natural thing to talk about, as opposed to something that, oh, people don't talk about this. I'm going to introduce it. I think it's a way of making it a very normal and natural component of how we live our lives, how we go to work, how we do our on-campus student jobs, right? Um, Those jobs require us to follow. So by talking about it within the context in which they are already familiar, I think just makes it an easier lift for me. I do introduce them to some of the common readings. And I definitely dedicate a slide to Ira. Um, um, He gets his own slide. um, But I talk a little bit about what it means to be a follower. I do a lot of group work, a lot of interactive work. Um, And then we do things on a meta level. How did that group work work for you? Who was leading? Who was following? And so in terms of pedagogy, there's a lot of layering that happens in that 75 to 90 minutes. 
And then I trust that Fatima and her team will then carry that through. And so um, even between us, you know, we're doing this leadership scholarship dance all for the benefit of the students. Beautiful. I love that dance. And, you know, I love the model of co-teaching or group teaching in general, where students get to hear from more than one person. I feel like that too somehow demonstrates this collaborative ecosystem and is a lesson in itself. Fatima, I wonder if you could give us a sense of students' perspective on this material. What have they been saying to you as they learn about followership and maybe how it's influencing their understanding of leadership in this course? Based on what students have said to us and in their reflections, they typically are not introduced to followership in any other areas of their study. So a lot of them are very surprised at this concept and they are taken aback and also very much like, oh, suddenly this makes sense to me, you know. So I have a few quotes from students from their reflections this last year that we taught the class. Um, one of the students is talking about how the idea of followership is new to them. And they said, I noticed that my leadership was so much more effective when people I was leading were responsive, took action and asked the right questions. And then another one talked about how their view of followership has changed by talking about how being able to give constructive feedback to my leaders is an example of good followership and the necessity of feedback. So we get a lot of those types of comments where students are just simply not used to the idea. One student even said that they had never even heard of the term prior to this session or this class and that it seemed like a lot of their other peers had not either. I find all this very encouraging, not only the positive response, which of course is wonderful, but just the openness to followership simply as a new concept to learn about. I think for those of us like me on the organizational training side or the career coaching side, we're used to a bit more resistance around followership, the word itself. But in the university setting, at least right now, I am having more and more conversations like this one, where followership just gets a kind of question mark type of response. And that's really great because it means students are mostly really open to learning leadership and followership together. So, you know, it's a great time for educators to start presenting it that way. And that is really exciting. Doreen, may I ask you to expand on one or two of your favorite exercises when you present followership and leadership in that first class again, because I know some listeners out there may be looking for ideas. Okay. Okay. I can share that. And this one I got from Basel. And so it's an exercise where you have everyone hold up a piece of paper and you tell them to fold it and fold it and fold it. And then you tell them to tear it in certain ways. But I do it fairly quickly, not too fast, but I do it fairly quickly. And then we open that paper up and everyone's paper looks different, right? And then we talk about what it means. Why, why do our pages look different? Wasn't I clear? And why couldn't you keep up? And why didn't you ask me if things weren't clear? And so, you know, things start to resonate for the students, right? They start to harken back to experiences they may have had um, with a professor where they did an assignment, but they didn't do it correctly with a manager, right, um, at their student job where a supervisor told them to do something um, and they did it and they thought they were doing it correctly, but the supervisor had a different idea well, why were you or why weren't you comfortable enough 
to ask the supervisor to slow down or be clear or what's the purpose. This paper folding exercise was shared in a Teaching Followers Courage webinar by leadership and management consultant Basil Reed, and we'll put a link to his work in the show notes. Thanks, Basil. And so it sort of demonstrates like what we can do as followers, right, to get the work done in a clear and correct way when we hold our leaders accountable to what they're leading. And so it's super easy, super quick. I love it. And um, I, I think it works. So I don't know what else I do. Fatima, what, what do you think I do? You do another one where you ask them to complete the sentence uh, and that they have to choose between traits for followership and traits for leadership. And uh, students are like the conversation I've set in at those tables. The conversation is extremely rich because they are constantly debating, well, if a follower is supposed to do this, but a leader is supposed to do that and kind of really seeing what differentiates a leader from a follower. I love that one too. I mean, they're both fantastic. I wonder if in that that one where you're talking about traits, you've noticed that the same trait can be expressed differently, like depending on what your role you're in. I mean, maybe I'm stating the obvious, but I wonder if that has come out in the discussions or, you know, what students have said about it. Yeah, I would say that I think that's the point that they hone in on is that the same qualities that makes for a good leader are also the same traits that would make for a good, good follower. So whether it's communication, whether it's like the, you're being valued centered, whether it's, you know, being courageous, right? Any number of those things. And following Doreen's session, we uh, have another session that really t- looks at failures in leadership and followership. So Oh, that one, students are given case studies of some major events. So, for example, uh, New Orleans after, you know, Katrina or some of the other uh, larger things. And then they're asked to really kind of think through what was happening in the followership in this moment, right? Where are the points of intervention where someone could have practiced like courageous followership? And they read that chapter prior to and break down where those those communication gaps were, where if if the followers had to voice concern or given feedback or done something, and then the situation would have been much different. And that that's actually helpful for students to kind of see the necessity of that critical thinking, the critical consciousness that comes with good followership. Thank you for that. It reminds me that I also would love to ask how you see this program preparing students for their whole lives, even beyond work, so that whether they are in a leadership role or more likely in a followership role, especially young people, how does this course help them see that they still have agency and they still have power? I think at the forefront, we talk about how a lot of the roles they're currently in, if they're student employees, um, if they go to summer internships, any number of things, they're typically not going to be in a leadership position. So first and foremost, thinking about how do you work in the current positions that you have and still practice good followership. So that's still within the job context. But outside of that, you know, we talk about so many of the important moments. So in my class, students focus on these six big questions is what we call them. So everything from uh, mitigating social disparities to using technology for social good or making a connection between uh, nature and people. So thinking about all of those things. 
And so students design projects that they would like to do to address one of those big questions. And we talk a lot about how the work that they're doing in that space, which is ultimately to promote like social good in some capacity, where does the role of followership go into that? How can they learn from the communities that they're working with? So for example, the community-centered work, how do you talk to stakeholders? How do you get their perspective? How do you center them? How do you show cultural humility in this? How do you practice the accountability? Because as university students, you have power that you don't even realize, right? Being attached to uh, the university and uh, the history of how the university has interacted with communities around it and whatnot. So there's a lot of conversation that can happen right then and there. And I think it's a small bubble-sized version of what the larger world is like and all the issues that students ultimately want to address because students have said they want to address issues in mental health and, and homelessness or the climate crisis. And I think it's just a microcosm of that. I so appreciate how you are linking leadership and followership skills with social good right at the beginning in this foundations course, because in the world, as we know, it's never just leadership, like for its own sake, right? Or followership for that matter. It's always to some end, at least we hope that we're engaging in leadership and followership for some positive goal or purpose that we're committing to together, whether that's in a company or a community setting or even our own social circle. So I really love that you're prompting students to consider these questions, both what are we trying to achieve here And then how are we using our power in both roles to get to that outcome? I wonder if there are any classroom activities that work especially well with this approach. I think one of the things I really try to do is have students pick their own topics and project ideas based on what they do. So they, we go through in the very first, one of the first classes we do is a gallery walk activity where we have the questions posted on the board and students go around in small groups and generate ideas that they have. And other students, if they see an idea, they, you know, like heart it or put a check mark or a star next to it. And then eventually based on that, they pick the topic that they want. So recognizing where their locus of influence is and how it connects to what they really care about. So giving students agency to pick what they want to work on has been really essential because then that drives it. And I think it also shows them like, hey, if you're observing something happening in your community, however you're defining community, then you still have power regardless. And honestly, I see the same stuff come up over and over again. I've I've been teaching um, this for six years now, and uh, uh, and every single year the same issues come in, which to me signals like these issues are longstanding issues for students, and that we haven't done an adequate job of resolving it for them. Yeah, thank you, Doreen. I see you nodding. Do you have a thought to add to this conversation? Fatima, I think we think so similarly um, in this regard. Uh, there's a lot of work, I think, that we wish had been done in the past, right, for our current leaders. And part of that work includes cultural competency and understanding the communities in which we work and understanding that uh, we are not always the leaders when we either enter these communities to do work or um, we are not always the experts. And what does it mean to step back, right, and acknowledge 
that someone else should be leading, that someone else actually should be in those positions to guide and lead us. And none of this has happened in the past. And so it's a fathomless point, right? Seeing some things happen currently, where had we had these discussions before, I think many of our communities would be better off. And so I am nodding because I am grateful that we have the opportunity to do that work now, because these students, many of them will actually be leaders and followers. And to have this knowledge uh, means that the work that they will be doing, they will be doing it with that awareness, right? And they will be doing it with the emotional intelligence that is needed to do this work and to have this influence and to impact our communities in a positive way. It's necessary work, right? Talking about what it means to be a good follower, talking about what it means to be ethical, talking about what it means to hold our leaders accountable is the good and necessary work that we need to be doing now. I am also really excited and delighted to hear about what's going on in your program and the very real results that it's producing. So thank you both so much for everything you're doing. And speaking of results, before we leave this topic, are there any memorable student projects you'd like to tell us about? Yeah, this is actually one of our most successful stories. A team of students called Blueprints for Pangea, they were really interested in medical waste, particularly how a lot of times, say, for example, you're going into surgery, they prep the table, they open up all the supplies, but then that surgery gets bumped for an emergent one. And then all of that, based on U.S. regulations, all of that material has to then be disposed of. And so there's literally like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of medical supplies that are perfectly usable that then get thrown out. And so they actually started an organization to redistribute those supplies to other places that would take them and re-sanitize and reuse, right? And to date, they have literally, this was a few years ago, but to date, they have literally sent out hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of medical supplies to different places. And it was just because these students, like one of them was a pre-health professional who like a student who noticed that this was a thing and, and started it from there. Wow. I love that story. I mean, not only because it's an amazing thing that happened, but because of what you said, it started because this one student noticed. Yeah. And I think that's something that is I mean, I guess it can be, you know, a leader or follower role. You can notice things, but I associate that really strongly with the followership role because when we're in that role, we're so often seeing small details. We're not so much like big picture, you know, big vision. We're in it. We're in like the everyday work of work and we notice things. And when we really give weight to those things and say, no, what I'm seeing is important, then this kind of thing can happen, right? That can grow. It can become like a real, you know, life-changing project. So I just wanted to highlight that because I think noticing things is something we don't always celebrate. It's very subtle. But when you're really taking yourself seriously in your follower role, you can give more authority to those things you're seeing. Doreen, we have a little, I think, extra time here. I want to take a little segue and ask you about your coaching because you always also work as an executive coach in addition to your administrative role and your teaching role. And I wonder if you'd speak for a few minutes on how followership comes up there in your context. Sure. Uh, So my coaching company is called Brazen Communication. 
And my primary clients right now uh, include what I call middle to senior level managers in education and academic medicine. And so I coach primarily folks who are directors, deans, vice presidents, or folks who want to be those things. Mm -hmm. And I focus on the term middle management because I think leadership and followership are so prevalent. I mean, that that is where leadership and followership sort of really live, right? You know, that's where the dance is happening constantly between leading and following. And so it has no choice but to show up in my in my coaching with those folks who are both in positions where they are guiding, leading, helping those who uh, report to them, but they are also answering to the executive leadership of their institutions or their corporations. And so they are navigating this very tricky space where they are doing the noticing, but also trying to figure out how to communicate what they notice to leadership in a way uh, in which leadership will listen. And sometimes it's successful and sometimes it isn't. And so it shows up in coaching because folks are trying to figure these things out, right? I used to say that followership shows up in my work because we are all trying to manage up. Mm. My perspective has changed. I know um, that the Hurwitz in their book, Leadership is Half the Story, they focus on the fact that managing up and followership are different. I would posit that managing up is a component of followership. You are always a follower in these roles. And sometimes you're managing up and sometimes you're not managing up, but you always are following in a sense, right? And so just talking about the emotional intelligence needed to do this tricky dance of leading and following, that's a sticking point for a lot of the folks I coach. They're trying to do really good work. Um, They are trying to notice things. They are trying to bring things to the attention of others. Sometimes it's successful. Sometimes it isn't. Uh, when do you speak truth to power, as we like to say? And when are you better off not speaking truth to power? Because sometimes that decision is one that has to be made. And so I help folks work through that sort of decision-making metrics. Yeah, thank you for that. And I appreciate the distinction between, you know, managing up, speaking truth to power and following generally, because uh, it helps us understand that followership is like this huge spectrum, just like leadership. It's not just one thing. And I don't know if you agree with this, Doreen, I'll just throw it out there. But I wonder sometimes if things like managing up and speaking truth to power, they're like the more outwardly focused aspects of followership. They're like more leader-like qualities. I wonder if that's what we kind of tend to latch onto and sort of underemphasize the subtler areas of followership. I actually completely agree. I like to tell folks that there is a difference between doing leadership and being a leader. And I think you just hit the nail on the head. There's a difference between doing followership things like managing up and speaking truth power and owning that followership identity. And we get the two mixed up. Um, there's a difference and we're not paying enough attention to the being and we're focusing sometimes too much on the doing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I have one more follow-up question to that. You mentioned that in that middle area, there's so often the challenge or the opportunity to craft, you know, what you're observing into language or into some sort of communication that your own leaders will understand and appreciate and act on. Uh, I wonder if you have any tips for listeners on how they might begin to do that, or maybe a couple of like things to think about 
you know, this may not be of help um, specifically, but a listener really needs to know the context in which they're working. Some things may work for one context and not for another. Um, but that means that you're asking yourself several questions. If you are finding that you never can communicate what you're noticing to your leadership, you might want to ask yourself if that's a place that you want to stay or, or you know, what, what does that mean to be working and being a leader in a place where you don't feel comfortable doing that? Right. And so not being afraid of the hard questions, I think, is the most important thing, not confusing the doing with the leading. So if you are comfortable in working in that environment, you think that you can get work done in that way, then that's your choice. But if you're finding that that is not resonating with your values as a leader or a follower, that's also a choice you're making to stay or to go and not being afraid of having that conversation with yourself. I think that sometimes we shy away from things or we think that we don't have agency. And I would just love to remind any listener that you still have agency. Don't be afraid of the choices that you may have to make as a leader or a follower, because that can make the difference um, between being someone who is walking in alignment with their ethics and someone who now finds themselves moving away from their core values. And so asking yourself, what kind of person do you want to be? Who do you want to be? And being in alignment with that, I think, are really important questions. So it doesn't sound practical, but I think even in my coaching situations, reminding people of what their values are has helped them make decisions along the way. And I think we've gotten away from saying, okay, wait a minute, is this in alignment with how I believe I should be leading or following? And if not, think about that a little bit more deeply. Thank you for that. Yeah, I I think that's actually fantastic advice because... It's true that there's no formula, right? We're all living in our own circumstances, right? With a variety of people all living in their circumstances. And so returning, you know, to the internal conversation with yourself and your own values is often like the most strategic, you know, way to make a decision or figure out what you want given, you know, all the the data around you. And as you were speaking, I actually thought back to that paper exercise. Thanks, Basil Reed, because you know, it reminded it reminded me that you can ask a question, right? And sometimes we do totally forget that we can do that, right? When we're in in a relationship with a leader, we just sort of take it as like here's the instructions and now I just need to do it. But no, you can actually ask how do you want me to fold the paper in squares or in rectangles? How many times, you know? Um, so remembering our question asking power and again, giving ourselves permission to do that. Fatima, I'd love to go back to you about the kind of the big picture program. Like, where do you see this evolving? I know it's been going for a few years, but I imagine you have some ideas um, in terms of the future. Yeah, actually, um, this is a conversation we as an institute are currently having. Uh, We've introduced a leadership certificate program here at the U for our undergraduate students. And we've been talking a lot about how much more students have said they want more of this content. So we're really thinking about how do we reshape this so that students get a deeper dive into followership, into bad leadership, into ideing those values and having those like courageous conversations with yourself. So like when Doreen was speaking, uh, I was thinking like, oh gosh, that's so hard to do because it requires a lot of self-trust, you know, this idea that you are going to, you can trust yourself to hold whatever conclusion you come to, right? If it's like, oh, 
now I have to quit my job because this no longer sits right with me. That's such a big thing. And the trust that would require to even hold it, to confront that. I want to think about how do we get students the skills to have that early on? We do a lot around self-compassion mm-hmm. in the class already. So students do some mindfulness and contemplative practice exercises in class. They do journaling. We lead guided meditation in class as part of the practice. I want to start introducing more of that where it's like the courageousness starts with you because internally you know the truth. You know what is right or what, what your intuition is. And we are so afraid of sitting with that truth that we give away our power and say, oh, well, it's out of my hands. They're making all the decisions, right? So how do we, how do we like build up the skills for that early on in students? Because I didn't learn this until much later in life. You know, <laughs> I, there was no one to speak to me about that. I think that came with my own personal healing journey. Yeah, beautifully said. I also wish that as a young person, someone had given me self-trust training. My (laughs) life would have been very different. And I imagine that's true for many others as well. I'd like to ask you both whether anything else is rising to the surface as we move toward the end of our conversation today. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with other educators or administrators who might want to introduce followership to their leadership curricula? I think one thing that stands out for me over and over again is that this topic blows students away. We think that they wouldn't be interested in maybe like, or they're just not exposed to it, but at least one third of the students who take it write about followership in their final reflection as something that just stands out. Like I send Doreen quotes every time she teaches the class and it's usually like 10 to 12, right? Like paragraphs worth of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Wow. So I would say don't be afraid to introduce this topic because trust me when I say they're going to eat it up. It's going to be great. That's so encouraging. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I would add that it matters how you teach it. First, don't be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. I almost want to say let's stop talking about how there's a stigma attached and let's just own it and and do it. But I get it. I get why that language is there. Thinking about who is teaching it, and and I think our model works, and I'm saying our, and it's not mine, it's, it's the Institute's model, but I think part of this works because I actually am perceived as a leader at the institution, and I'm coming in to talk about followership and what it means to follow, and I do, I share my resume, a, li- a bit of a short resume, and I, I talk mm-hmm. about the units that report to me, and, I, and then I shift, right, and it's about how can we follow better, and I think that there's something to having someone who's in a conventional leadership position talk about what it means to be a good follower. And so just thinking about that, right? Thinking about how you're presenting it, who's presenting it, who's talking about it. I think it just breaks down for students this element that there are leaders and there are followers, right? With some respect, all of us are leading and following, but me being able to teach this course shows in a very real way that even though I have this leadership role, I have to do these things and I have to follow and I have to interrupt and ask questions and I have to express curiosity or I get my job wrong, right? Like, you know, um, I have that persona too, both in my personal life and my professional life. And so I'm not saying that you have to bring in someone like me, but just thinking about how you're delivering the information and who, who is delivering some of that information to just 
break down some of these sort of natural assumptions that students have about leadership and followership. Thank you so much. Yeah, I love that. I think it's a really powerful insight. Thank you both. I could ask you questions all day, but we'll close there. And thank you for sharing what you've been up to at the Barger Institute. I can't wait to see what's next. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. You have been listening to the Lead and Follow podcast. Special thanks to Glover Gill for composing our music. And thank you to all of our subscribers. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting the show with a paid subscription. And if your team or organization is interested in followership training, please reach out anytime. I'd love to help.